Hey guys, this is Pastor Mark Warren from Church at the Crossroads. Thank you for checking out our podcast. My prayer is that you're encouraged and challenged as you hear, understand, and obey God's Word today. Praise the Lord. We are going to go ahead and dismiss the kids as we get started. We're in Romans chapter 8. And I am encouraged by uh, the testimony of people who, who've been studying Romans and reading through Romans um, with us. And um, I would have to say that along with the book of John, Romans is so important to having an understanding of the Christian, Christian life. When I uh, surrendered my life to Christ... I began to, actually I started reading Matthew, and um, Matthew's 28 chapters, so I read Matthew, and um, it was later on that I really uh, began to read um, the book of, book of John, the book of Romans, and um, when you come to Christ, there are certain books that are easier to understand. Philippians is an easy one, Colossians. And then there's Hebrews. I remember I had a friend, he, he gave his life to Christ, and he started studying the Bible. We would talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He, we talked about Romans. We talked about Timothy. We talked about uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And then he said there was Hebrews. And he said, man, I just, you know, Hebrews was a challenge. And there, there are books that are just easier, but as you continue in your study of God's Word and grow deeper and deeper, those books take on a uh, new meaning. And as we come to the chapter 8 in Romans today, it reminds me of a story that happened, uh, let's see, it was about 17, so I can't believe it's that long, it's about, no actually it was 15 years ago. We had a Christmas Eve service at the time. I was a youth pastor in a um, Methodist church in Suffolk, and Amy and I went to the Christmas Eve uh, Christmas service, and we had this great time. And after that, we went. It was when my mom was still alive. We went over to Newport News, and we were celebrating Christmas. And it was before I. Amy was eight months pregnant, and. Um, <laughs> Chloe just ran around the uh, my mom's living room. My brother were there. We just had the best time, and we were just having this great time. And then we headed back to Chesapeake, where we lived in a townhouse over there. And so we walk in, and I take Chloe upstairs um, to, to her crib, and I hear Amy say, Mark, why did you leave the back door open? And, you know, being the good husband that I was, you know, I immediately assumed I was guilty. <laughs> but then I thought, you know, I didn't leave the back. I, that's not something I would do. That didn't fall in the... the so I, I said, I don't think I did that. So I, I walked downstairs, and the door was wide open. And I looked, and I noticed two things. One, I noticed there was a hole through the window, like a basketball and then I noticed my TV that uh, Norma had given us, I believe, for Christmas. She had given us a television for Christmas. And we had mounted it up on the wall. That was missing. 
So I said, I think we've been robbed. And by that time, Amy had already figured it out. And she goes, you think so? <laughs> Boy, she was mad. She was so mad that night when the police arrived. I think they were scared of her. I remember the, la the lady said, I don't know if I can deal with this tonight. She was mad. She was eight months pregnant. And I was concerned she was going to go in labor on that night. And I tell you what, when I say we were robbed, we were robbed. I mean, Christmas gifts, guitars, computers, rings. You know, it was uh, at a time when people give, we were robbed. You know, people t took. But as people did evil, God had people who would do many good things. And um, through that situation, I got to be on the news. And Channel 10 came out and did a story called The Grinch of Greenbrier. And they told the story. And um, sitting there that night trying to comfort my wife and have her not go into labor, I said, you know, Amy, I think we need to forgive these people, whoever they are, because this has been a repeating pattern for our, our young marriage in the last six months. Someone had thrown a brick through our car, somebody had broke into my other car and went into the glove compartment, we had gotten ripped off by a landlord, and all these things just seemed to be happening. And I said, you know, I feel like if we don't just forgive this person, whoever they are, you know, we're, we're stuck in this pattern of this, just this pattern of, um, of uh, hurt and pain. And so reluctantly, you know, we, we attempted to do that that night. And as we um, walked through this, you know, God opened up a door for me to be on the news and they said, and I mean, they just laid it right in my lap. They said, what would you say to the person who did this if they're watching to, on, on the show? And I said, wow, God, you couldn't have made it any easier. I'd say, well, the Lord Jesus, I just shared the gospel. And I said, I forgive them because Christ came into the world to offer forgiveness for sin. And, and we were, I mean, everything that the enemy tried to do to harm us, God, God restored. Someone gave me a guitar. Someone gave me a television. It was the heaviest television I've ever lifted in my life. Wow. <laughs> that it, was, it took two guys to carry that. But God blessed us financially. People gave money to us. Our church, you know, was so angry at that that they, they took an offering and they gave us money. And, and people just rallied around us. And what we look back on now, when we look back on that story, there is really not any hurt or pain. It, it was just a time for, yes, there's evil in the world, there's bad things in the world, but God's grace is greater. God's love, God's people is much greater than all of that. And, and God desires for us to know the giver the one who gives. And I asked you this question, is it better to give or receive at Christmas? Because there's a time in our lives when we're young that we are unable to give unless our parents just give us money. 
And then there comes that time that I'm seeing, you know, I saw with Chloe when she got a job, and I'm seeing with Ivy as she's starting to work where they're able to buy gifts and give. And they realize that this, this gift, is uh, this ability to give is as great as the uh, joy of receiving. And see, the Bible says that God loved us first, and in that he, we love one another because he loved us. And see, God has allowed us to give and to love people so we can reflect him. So in receiving what Christ did for us on the cross, we're also able to give and to love. And as we look at chapter 8 in Romans, we see another gift that God has given us. Romans 8 describes God's gift of his son that he said he came. And at the end of chapter 7, Paul said, Wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this, this curse, this, this struggle? And he said, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And so Paul talks about God's gift of his son. He also talks of his gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can live the Christian life. And it's the gift of the Holy Spirit given through us as Jesus came into the world to die for our sins. He lived a perfect life, and he has made a way for us to live the Christian life. And it's through the Holy Spirit living inside of us that we live the holy that we live a Christian life. And Paul says in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 he says now there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And just as God would have me and Amy forgive those who robbed us on Christmas, so God in the whole idea behind that is that Amy and I have been forgiven by a holy God. That God did not hold our sins against us that he forgave us. And the Bible says there's no condemnation, that we want peace in the world. Well, peace in the world begins with peace with God. In order for there to be peace in this world, there has to be a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And Paul writes, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. He goes on to say, for what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, we were unable to keep the law, but God did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Jesus came into the world, the incarnate son of God, to offer his life for our sins. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4 says, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If we are going to live the Christian life and follow and obey Him, we have to trust in the Holy Spirit and not in our own ability to follow God. He says that those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Holy Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. As believers, 
when you and I depend on our own ability to serve Christ, when we focus on our own desires and what we want, when we remain in pride and refuse to admit where we're wrong, we're unable to follow Christ because we're not surrendered to the Holy Spirit. When we give up the desire, the, the, the selfishness of trying to live the Christian life in our own strength, trying to pursue our own happiness, irregardless of God's will or God's law, we cannot serve and please him and life is chaos. When we surrender to Christ, when we say like Paul did, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. If you are a believer, you're not bound to the flesh. You're not bound to your human nature. You're able to follow God because you are in the realm of the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you if you are a believer. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So as a believer, the Holy Spirit is given to us at salvation. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now to the extent that we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, that will be the extent that we experience peace and victory, love and joy in the Christian life. If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death, we're all getting older <laughs> because of sin. The Holy Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in, I, lives in you. So, as Christians, as followers of Christ, there's no fear of death because we live with the expectation that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, that we have this relationship, we have this hope with Christ. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. What that basically says is God has given us the freedom, the power over sin. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And what we have to do is identify the things in our life that keep us from being like Christ, that keep us from following and obeying God and put them to death to stop doing them because we have this promise that we have the mind of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit within us, and we are not bound. We can choose, say, I am going to walk this way. I'm not going to walk that way. And as we do that, we develop new habits and replace old. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Since the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, the Holy Spirit reaches out God the Father and calls God our Father. We belong to Christ, and we have been adopted into the body of Christ. 
Finally, the Bible says that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If you're here today and you question your salvation, the Bible says that you've been given the Holy Spirit as a believer when you surrender to Christ. And that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit within you, cries out to God and lets you know that you belong to him. When you do the wrong thing, it's going to let you know that you belong to Christ and you shouldn't be doing that. And that conscience, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is a good thing. And if we will listen to the Holy Spirit and correct ourselves when we get off the path, allow other people who care about us to speak into us, to encourage us. You know, as I thought about this message, I said, you and I, we need people to encourage us. There are people that when I want to know if I'm right or wrong in the situation, I talk to different people. And I develop a relationship with those people where they know me, they know my tendencies, they see my blind spots, and they can point. And it's not just one person. It's a group of people. And if I make a decision and I've talked to four or five people who know me, who've known me for a season, who care about me, who love the Lord, and they all consistently say the same thing, then most likely that's God's will. You know, the Bible says there's wisdom in talking to other people. And if they tell me that I'm wrong about something, I usually realize that it might be difficult. It might not be what I want to hear. But if the people that know me and care about me are saying, this is what I believe your weak spot is there, then that's God speaking through my conscience. That's probably telling me the same thing and other people confirming it so that I can walk during that path. And should you or I get to the place where we're struggling and we're challenged with a weakness, those same people who correct us, those same people who pray for us, can encourage us and help us to live this Christian life. Because you have the power within you as a believer, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, to live the Christian life. So it is your responsibility to walk by faith and make the changes that are necessary to walk in obedience. So what do we have as a result of the gift of the Holy Spirit? If you were to look under your tree... What gifts has God given you through the Holy Spirit? You say, well, there's this gift of Jesus Christ. And when we open up that gift, that Christ was sent into the world for our sins and so that we can live the Christian life, what is in that gift? What are all the things? And I'm not going to cover every single blessing and gift that you have in Christ, but we're going to focus on a group of them that you can write down, you can take pictures, however you, or just remember it and just listen. But these are things that Paul says in Romans that God is giving us through the Holy Spirit. They're gifts. Things that we didn't deserve, things that we didn't work for, something that was, people reached out and gave to Amy and I to bless us when the enemy had tried to hurt us. They gave, you know, they, they prayed for us. They reached out to us. God arranged circumstances. He opened up doors so that our eyes could see a greater purpose, a greater use of that event, that it wasn't wasted. It wasn't just an evil event that was meant to destroy us, but something that God was able to 
used to bring glory to himself and to share the gospel with other people. Several people came. I was teaching school, you know, so I was in a circle of hundreds of people who knew me. Hundreds of people were able to watch on the news and say, I saw that family, that young family with, a, with this young child and a pregnant wife have something so evil and so horrible. I don't think the people who did it recognized how degrading and humiliating it was to walk into your house and feel violated where somebody had robbed you, stepped on your Christmas gifts, broken your window, pulled the mattress off of your bed to see if you had firearms, and stolen things that were sentimental in value. I don't think they grasped the full meaning of the evil that they had done. But God, not being limited by that, took that event and pushed it towards a greater good where people would hear the gospel. And people would say, I heard your message, on, and they even called it a message. I got to preach. I heard your message on the news. And that's what God is able to do with our lives. And he's given us many gifts. And he, he's behind the scenes working all things out to the good of those who love the Lord. That's next week. I'll just give you a hint of that. First gift God has given us is peace with him. God has given us peace with God. You live in a world, you and I live in a world, and I'm sure at some point in time you've experienced guilt. You've felt the unworthiness. You felt that you did not measure up. You felt like you've failed. You've failed others. You've failed God. You've failed yourselves. You've walked with that guilt and that shame that God says there is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. God wants to give you the gift of peace. Peace with him. Peace with others. Peace with yourself. To let go of the guilt and shame at this Christmas time. God wants to impart his peace to you. Also, God wants you to know that you are free from sin. That's a gift. God opened up to prison. You're not bound by sin. You're not bound to the law. You're not condemned. You are free. You are set free. The Bible says that through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the principles of the Holy Spirit says that you are set free from sin and death. There is no sin that has authority over the believer. There's no person trying to live the Christian life who has to say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just going to be angry all the time because that's, you know, I'm bound to that. I can't change. That's not true. That's a lie of the devil. There is no sin that you'll find in the Bible. There's no sin that you'll feel, feel convicted of in your spirit that you're obligated to continue in. You are free if you will walk by faith and claim the promises of God, you and I are free from sin. Didn't say perfection, because the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number three, we have a renewed mind. Paul says the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. 
He says to Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. Also in chapter 12 of Romans, he says, be renewed, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As you come to Christ, we saw in chapter 7 that Paul says he delighted in God's law in his mind. You have been given a spiritual mind. What that means is you know what is right and wrong, even when it's hard to do it. Just think if you didn't know. Just think if you didn't know. Now, I know I need to forgive this person. I know I need to show kindness. Doesn't mean it's easy. But you know what is right and wrong. And when you read the Word of God, you can understand. You can understand the Word of God. And the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So since you know what is right, and you walk by faith, and you do what is right, you say, well, how can I do what is right? Just do it. The Bible says you're free to do it. The Bible says you're able to do it. So you know what is right and wrong. You look at a situation and your conscience, your, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God tells you what you should do. You know it. You understand it. Your only job is to step out and do it. And if you consistently do that, it gets easier. Now, should you not do it, the Bible says that's rebellion, that's stubbornness. And that's not good. So you ask God, you repent, you ask God to forgive you, you ask God to change you, and you allow other people to, people that care about you and love you, that you're close to, that you have a relationship with, that you're following Christ with, you let those people correct you and teach you and instruct you. You have friends that are Christians, friends who love the Lord, that when you spend time with them, and you say certain things, and they hear it, and they know those things are self-destructive, and they speak the truth to love in you. They speak the truth to you in love. You allow them to encourage you. You say, pray for me. I'm working on that. And we build up each other, and we pray for one another. And if, as a believer, as you have those relationships, you encourage when you can, you give space when you have to. There are times when people just aren't receiving your encouragement. You back off and give them some space. Give them time to grow in humility. God will teach them. If they are a child of God, God will discipline them and correct them. You've done your part. You're praying for them. You encourage them. They'll come back to you and they'll say, I need to apologize. You know, I've had friends in my life who encouraged me they were aggressive when I allowed it. They backed off when I was being stubborn. When I came around and I realized where I was wrong, I would go back to those friends and say, thank you for praying for me. Thank you for encouraging me and not beginning to say what I wanted to hear. I'm not saying you tell someone something that's not true. If they're doing what's wrong, it's wrong. And you encourage them to do what's right. It's because we know what is right. We have a renewed mind as a follower of Christ. It's a gift from God that he gave us this renewed mind so that we know what is right and we know what is right. The Bible says we're able to discern good and evil. 
as a result of having the Holy Spirit within in us. Number four, resurrection power. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. There is hope in every situation. Just as Jesus was on the cross and Jesus was risen from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit, God raised him from the dead. God is changing us and raising dead things in us to, to life. Number five, we have self-control. When I read the uh, fruit of the Spirit and I say, which one is the most challenging? If I'm, whether I'm speaking to a group of teenagers or I'm speaking to adults, people almost always say self-control. Self-control is such a challenge for people. And yet the Bible says as believers we have self-control. The Bible promises us it is a gift of God that you and I can have self-control. And what is self-control? It simply means that you can choose to do what is right. When you walk out of here today, when you go through your week, and you know what is right and wrong, the opportunities that come up in your life, you have the power through the Holy Spirit to choose to do what is right and to reject to do what is wrong. When you're tempted, when you're challenged, you can say no. Just like Jesus did in Matthew 4. When he was tempted, he quoted the word of God. He knew what was right, and he chose to do what was right. You and I can do that, and we can expect to do that, and we can walk with confidence, and we can obey Christ. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion, and as we follow Christ, and we obey him, and then we walk in victory, yes, we're going to make mistakes. And when we do, we're going to, the more you follow Christ and the more you obey Christ, the easier it is to admit when you're wrong and you ask God to forgive you. And you, you, if you look at NBA basketball players, there's so many talented basketball players. And I've been studying, um, just reading a lot from the life of Kobe Bryant. And, you know, I look at Kobe Bryant and his his ability, his physical ability is similar to like hundreds of basketball players. There's hundreds of people that if you line them up physically, they would have the same talent. So how did this man achieve this tremendous level of accomplishment? It's through hard work. It's through practice. And I've been reading a lot of his interviews and how he talks about his work ethic and he, he kind of he summed himself up. He said, I wasn't the fastest player, so I had to do this. I wasn't the quickest player, so I had to do that. You know, and he thought about each. I didn't ha my hand wasn't the largest of hands, so I had to learn how to palm the ball a certain way. And the amount of what he called obsessiveness with development and training. You know, and I have to be honest with you, for a long time I thought approaching the Christian life like that would be legalistic. That God wouldn't want me to talk about the Christian life like that. But that's not true. Why wouldn't God want me to care as much about developing character and being effective and reaching the lost and living for His glory 
as those men and women that he created who love playing basketball. Why would he expect people to work? Why would he think it's okay for people to play music like that and to develop their skills and to grow in their skills and to play basketball and football and baseball and to work hard and to analyze their their performance and to just work and work and work to grow and then somehow come into a church and say, oh, this stuff doesn't matter. What does it really matter? We're just, we don't want to be legalistic. We don't want to be self-righteous. We don't, we don't want to think we're better than people. Why would God want us to treat our character, our families, the lost his mission to reach the world, his glory, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Why would he want us to view that as if it wasn't as important as men and women playing a game? As my mom used to say, they're just playing a game with a ball. What's so important about that? Why is that so important? Well, we act like that is so important, and this is so important. But do we act like... This is that important. I mean, if that man, and, and they, they said, you guys know Shaq, right? You know, big Shaq. Yeah. Funny, funny guy. He's hilarious. They asked Kobe Bryant. They said, if, if Shaq worked like you, what type of basketball player would, would Shaq have been? Kobe said he would have been the GOAT. He would have been the greatest player. He, he had all of that talent and that ability. And he said, and he would admit it, he was kind of lazy. Well, you know what? We are, uh, we are, that's funny. <laughs> we have spiritual laziness. Amen? Amen? Do we not come into the church and somehow think, that God's grading is on the curb and we can do whatever we want and there's no real expectation that we just need to love each other and just accept each other. Doesn't God want us to, to work and develop? We're saved by grace. We're given all these gifts. And just like Shaq had all of that ability... And he did very well with that ability. He probably worked harder than a lot of people would work. But another guy can say, you could have worked even harder. In fact, it was hard for him to play on the same team because he didn't have the same work ethic. So shouldn't we come into our Christian life and look at the fruit of the Spirit and look at the, the mission that Christ gave us and said, you know, if Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan and all of these athletes can work so hard to perfect what they do and to do it well, that we wouldn't pour ourselves into the development of our character and to grow spiritually and to know God, wouldn't it be a much greater reward? Because at the end of the day, Paul, see, Paul understood this. Because he said this. He said, Physical exercise profits a little. So Paul would say, Kobe, there is profit and truth in everything you said. Hard work pays off, and you've worked hard, and I respect you for that. Michael, I respect your hard work, 
you know, how hard you worked to develop your game that when other people, you know, he said after practice, I was shooting 400 shots to get better. He said one year that he, he watched the film and he said, you know, my legs are tired because the shot is on point and it's falling short because my legs are weak. So next season, I'm going to lift weights and I'm going to work on my legs so that next season I won't have weak legs. But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness. As we review our day, as we review our year, and we look at our character, do we say, oh, God forgives me. That's no big deal. I just keep doing it. You know what? I might, I might even be worse next year. Does it really matter? Do we, do we think like, do we not think that way? Because if we didn't think that way, the world would probably, the church would probably have a greater impact in the community. But if we thought like these athletes, because Paul said, physical exercise is of little value, but spiritual exercise has reward in this life and in the life to come. If we would apply what people do all around us to be excellent at their jobs, at their, their business, at their sports, if we would apply that same energy and that same determination, not to earn our salvation, but because we have been poured into and gifted we are like a shack. We are that man or that woman full of potential, full of talent. And, and are those people looking at us saying, but you're not doing anything with it. You're not developing it. You're not seeking to grow and to change and to help other people and to reach other people. Because the spiritual development of these gifts and taking these gifts that God has given us and taking them to the next level has value not just in this life, but also in the life to come. We have been given the self-control to choose whether or not we grow spiritually and develop spiritually. We've been given divine guidance for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. God wants to lead us and direct us to make the best use of our time. And finally, oh, how'd that happen? Well, I know it's on that slide. Finally, we have been given freedom from fear. The Bible says we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of peace and sound mind. Let me just summarize and encourage you to do this. How do you how do you do? How do you grow spiritually? How do you develop? If the basketball player shoots the basket and runs up and down the court, what do you and I need to do to develop spiritually in this way? How do we need to develop our character? I encourage you to do two things. Make these eight qualities your prayer and your confession. Pray for God's peace. Pray for freedom from sin. Pray for a renewed mind. Pray for the resurrection power in your life. Pray for self-control. Pray for guidance. Pray for freedom for fear. 
Pray for your relationship with God. And pray those things for your family, for your children, for your friends. And then the next thing, confess. What does it mean to confess? Well, the Bible says, claim what is yours. Take the gift that God's given you. Confess it. Get up in the morning. Uh, one of the church members showed me a little thing where they said they had a picture. They had taken four things that they confessed. They've started doing this. They said, I confess that Jesus is the Son of God. I confess that Jesus died on the cross for the sins. I confess that Jesus rose from the dead, and I confess that I am going to follow and obey Christ. I encourage you to do the same thing with these qualities, to confess. Lord, I confess. I just say it. I have your peace. I have freedom from sin today in Jesus' name, and I am going to walk in victory. I'm not going to just give in the stuff, the things that I struggled with yesterday. I'm going to overcome them in the name of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. I have resurrection power. I'm not going to give up on stuff. I'm not going to walk around giving up when I face challenges. I'm going to recognize the hope and the, the strength of my confession that God can raise things from the dead. Abraham says if Isaac dies, you know, God could raise him from the dead. So he offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice. He didn't live in fear. God does not want you living in fear. You have self-control. You can choose to do what's right. You don't have to do what is wrong. You have divine guidance. If you will say, Lord, lead me today, God will supernaturally lead you to have conversations and situations where you can be a, a, the, the words of Christ to someone, the hope. You have freedom from fear, freedom over anxiety. You know, proclaim it. Say, Lord, I thank you that you give me your peace today, that you're going to surround me with your love, your peace, and I'm going to walk in victory and in humility. That I'm not going to become pride. God, when I see you doing things in my life and you're blessing people and you're using people, you know, I, I, just, I just confess in Jesus' name that you're going to fill me with graciousness, graciousness, kindness, and humility. And I, I, I just thank you for my relationship with you, that, that you love me, you care about me, that you are a good God. Wake up and, and read the word, confess God's word. I encourage you to read this chapter and just walk in victory and confidence and, and so that you can look back on uh, next year as the Lord gives you days and you can say, you know, I see what God is doing in my life. I see how God is changing me little by little and, and, and I'm not satisfied. I'm working to grow more, but I'm thankful for what God is doing. I'm not walking around like a defeated person. I'm not walking around like a victim. I'm walking around as a child of God who's been given victory in Christ and who is simply just receiving those gifts that God has given me. Thanks for joining us today. Visit us at crossroadsahoski.com for more information, additional resources, and service times.